I'm a potato. You are insane. A potato. Are you going to be a potato the whole podcast? Because if so, <laughs> I can't take you serious. It's like, let me tell you about a murder as a potato. <laughs> Is this the potato that we were talking about in the last episode? I don't remember. Your key word is Leslie. Are you <laughs> cooking potatoes? What is the potato? Where's the potato? So the key word now is not are you cooking potatoes? It's are you a potato? Are you a potato? Because I'm a potato. I'm crying. I'm crying. I'm crying. Oh, God. Today's episode is going to be like a spinoff to your podcast. So we're going to talk about JFK. No, my podcast is a spinoff of our podcast. Whatever. You know. Whatever, we'll announce both the cast and both podcasts so they know if they want to listen to one to go to the one. So, our new podcast to hear about our conspiracies are the rabbit holes we jump into. And then, of course, we'll announce this one on our other one if they want to hear the story. Continue. John Fitzgerald Kennedy was born on January 20th, 1961, and was elected the 35th president of the United States at only 43 years old. I feel like that is super young considering our president now is like 80. Touche. Like, that's insane. The Kennedys were a pretty well-known family. JFK's dad, Joseph Kennedy, was head of security and exchange commission and was also ambassador to Great Britain in 1938. He was appointed by FDR and also one of JFK's brothers, Robert Kennedy, was the attorney general during JFK's presidency. He also ran to become president in 1968, but was assassinated as well. Ted Kennedy, another brother to JFK, who was Massachusetts. Oh my God, I can never say this place. Massachusetts, Massachusetts, Massa, Massachusetts. Okay, there you go. Senator and Eunice Kennedy, JFK's sister, founded the Special Olympics. I listened to a podcast. It's called Even the Rich, and I found out a lot of stuff about the family. Like they are. Have you ever listened to Even the Rich podcast? The what? The Even rich. the Rich. No. Okay. No, sorry. I got distracted saying, leave my beauty a beauty. <laughs> <laughs> so, right now, they just finished up the Paris Hilton series, but they do different series about different famous people, all the scandals in their lives, their ups, their downs. I've heard of it, but I've not watched or listened to any of it. 
Okay, got you. So they did. There's there's something on Hulu about Britney Spears that just came out or something like that. Yeah, so they did Britney Spears. They did Paris. They did the JFKs. They did um, Megan and Princess Diana. Just a bunch of different famous people, Beyonce and Jay-Z. They just kind of like talked about their ups and their downs and like, oh, even the rich go through the hard times type thing. So anyways, I kind of found a lot of jewel jewel stuff about them. So I'll spill the deeds. All right. The Kennedys were a middle class, a middle to low class family growing up. They didn't have extra the extra money like they do now. But JFK was a sickly child growing up. He had scarlet fever and was also diagnosed with Addison's disease. And I had no clue what Addison's disease was. Did you know? Do you know what Addison's disease is? Listen, if you're like a pharmacist and don't know, then you know I don't know. It's a tech, not a pharmacist. Okay, get us straight. Close enough. You work with medicines. So Addison's disease is a disorder which certain glands does not produce enough hormones, which causes low blood pressure. So, yeah, that's what it is. But after, you know, he went to, you know, high school, blah, 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 he went to Harvard University because, you know, only the greats go to Harvard. And he went there from 1936 to 1940. In 1941, JFK joined the Navy Navy and was awarded a Purple Heart. Then on June 12th, 1944, while still in the hospital recovering from back surgery, he received the Navy and Marine Corps Medal for Encouragement, Endurance, and Excellent Leadership. That contributed to saving several lives and was in keeping with the highest tradition of the United States Naval Service. In 1947, when he was only 29 years old, he joined the House of Representatives and served for six years. By 1952, Kennedy was preparing to run for Senate with his slogan, Kennedy's will do more for, damn it, say it for me, say it for me, Massachusetts. <laughs> Kennedy will do more for MA. This was some this was something I did not know, but he published a book that was called Profiles and Courage, which won the Pulser Prize. Is that how you say it? Pulser Prize? Pulser. I have no idea. Don't come at me, book people. Prize in 1957. This book contains short biographies of different U.S. senators who really risked their reputation by going against the public's opinion and possibly somewhat damaging their careers to fight for what they believed in and what was right, even though it wasn't popular at the time. At a dinner party in May of 1952, a mutual friend to both Kennedy and Jackie introduced the two. The relationship between the two grew, and he proposed to her after the November election. Jackie took some time to accept this because she had been assigned to cover the Queen, and she would be over in Europe for a while. So after a month, she returned back, and she said... Yes, I will. And if I had to wait a month for an answer, I'd be like, too bad, so sad. 
right? I feel like <laughs> obviously you're not so sure. So <laughs> never mind. So after she said yes, she quit her position at the newspaper and she officially announced their engagement on June 25th, 1953. Then by September 12th, 1953, the two were getting married at St. Mary's Church in Newport, Rhode Island. And I'm like, girl, she like me, like, get proposed. Now you're walking down the aisle like 90-day fiancé. You were a 60-day fiancé. I know. I was like... A year and a couple of months. But to be fair, if I would have if I would have stuck on my first date, it would have got canceled because of the Rona. True that. It got pushed back. So in 1960, JFK was living his best life, and on January 3rd, he announced that he was running for. U.S. President, and on November 8th, he won against Richard Nixon. Then, two short weeks later, Jackie gave birth to their first son, JFK Jr. During this inauguration, JFK gave his famous speech. He said, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. He asked the nation of the world to join together and fight for what he called common enemies of man. And then I'm going to try to pull at least a little clip of that speech right there because I can't say it as good as he did. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. But in 1961, now President John F. Kennedy began the U.S. space program. And I think that's kind of crazy that he began the space program of like going to the moon. And now we have a space military. Crazy, but you know, I, I don't know. So, and, and we'll get to my little thoughts and thoughts and thoughts about that oh, on the other podcast, podcast on our other podcast. So, let's see, he began the space program and told the nation his ambitions, his goals to land a man on the moon by the end of this decade. This didn't happen until after his death, but it was in result of him. So he still got the whoop whoop for the man landing on the moon. So the Peace Corps raised a minimum wage, helped raise money for mental illness. That was his like main things that he worked on. So other things JFK was known for, but you know, it's probably not the best that you know he's known for, was the Bay of Pig Invasion. So in 1959, Fidel Castro came into power that overthrew Batista. The U.S. government did not trust Castro, and they were very, like, they were very wary of his relationship with the leader of the Soviet Union. Before his inauguration, JFK was briefed on a plan by the CIA to train Cuban exiles for an invasion of their homeland. The plan was that the Cuban people and elements of the Cuban military would support the invasion. 
The ultimate goal was to overthrow Castro. Shortly after his inauguration, President Kennedy authorized the invasion plan, but the mission really harmed his reputation of the U.S. since it failed, and it did not go as planned. So now we're going to talk about the day that a lot of people will never, ever forget. So on November 22nd, 1963, JFK was going to Dallas. The Secret Service agents that were assigned to JFK were super nervous about this because the route was given to the public and that he was going to be in a car with no top. So we're going to start off the day with him leaving the hotel because, you know, we, we love a good hotel story. So he stayed at... Did he have a Leslie hotel? He probably stayed somewhere a little bit nicer. You know, he is the president and all. I don't, I don't see the president staying in a two-star hotel. Just saying. Well, just checking. We know your stories and most of the stories end up on here, so... So, I mean, you can Google this hotel to see how many stars they have. But he's, All right, tell me, and I'm Googling <laughs> it right now. He stayed at the Hotel Texas in Fort Worth. So Google it. Google it now. So that morning at 8.45, Kennedy is meeting with the crowds in the parking lot. He gives a speech, gets everybody like all pumped up and ready for the day. Then he attends a breakfast at the Fort Worth Chamber of Commerce with his wife Jackie then he delivers what is known as his last speech all right I've got the update okay 2.8 stars what the president stayed at a 2.8 stars I'm sure actually underneath it says one star hotel and then at the bottom it says 2.8 stars fair I'm sure looking at the pictures it was way nicer way back when. I'm going to say that he stayed at a two-star hotel to make me feel better. Actually, it says one-star hotel. Okay, well, I'm going to say the president stays at a one-star hotel. It says Hotel Texas, one-star hotel. Then it has the address, Fort Worth, Texas. A.K.A. Leslie-style hotel. I had to ask, <laughs> and I found out if it's on this podcast. Sorry, don't stay at the hotel. We, <laughs> Please don't do us. We rate hotels as we give our stories. I mean, no. Find thing. what Google says, not by us. Don't sue us. No, because we stay at these places. And it's not like we hate staying at these places. We enjoy staying at these places. Because we keep I, going to these type places. True that. Okay, continue. Okay. Even though he had a pretty strict schedule, JFK took the time to go to the crowds, talk to the people that was against the fence. So eventually four people ended up in this car. And it was the president, his wife, Governor Conley, and his wife. Kennedy did not want much barricading him between him and the people. And I don't know if I would have done this. I don't know why he done this. I know like he wanted like, oh, I want the people of Texas to feel close to me and da 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 but they drove extremely slow and only one or two secret service agents was like around the car kind of like walking with them 
one of JFK's good friends and his appointed secretary, Kenneth O'Donnelly, suggested that the Dallas trademark should be his final destination for this trip in Dallas. That way he can meet with some of the officials and make another speech or two. So JFK was to move from point A to point B, which was about 10 miles, and it was going to be a 45-minute span from this point to this point. So originally they had a 12.15 arrival time and eight days prior to this November 14th, Special Agent Wilson G. Lawson and Secret Service Agent Forrest had actually pre-planned this route. So they basically, they went out to Dallas and they're like, okay, we're wanting to start here. We're going to go to here. And they just like tested out what they thought would be the best and the safest route for the president to ride in this convertible. And it would be the safest for him. So they decided they would go through a suburban section of Dallas, then along go along Main Street and along a short part of the freeway. So the morning of the event, thousands of people were lined in this 10-mile drive to see the president. And this makes me think of a few years ago when Biden actually came. And have I ever told you about that? Briefly. I know what you're talking about. Came here and your husband, your father-in-law had to like block off all the roads. Yeah, like he was one of the main escorts. And so he's like, come watch us come through. And so we went and watched Biden come into town and there was tons of people. I mean, not like tons and not thousands, but on the road. I remember saying, who's that? (laughs) You know, like he's the vice president. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't really know who he was before this. It's like, I know who the presidents are, but the vice presidents, I really don't know who they are unless something. I never got into politics until this year. So, so I just, I just knew he was the vice president. I didn't really know much about him, but we seen him ride through. So this kind of makes me think of that type thing. So not only were the secret service agents worried about the thousands of people that were going to be like lined up around the roads and on this route, they were also worried that the fact that there were over 20,000 windows along this path and of course you know it's nearly impossible to inspect to make sure that there's nobody that's going to harm the president behind each of those windows but by 1221 the car turned onto main street and just nine minutes later is when the car reaches dilly plaza and three gunshots were confirmed to be fired. The first shot was said to miss JFK, even though things aren't totally set in stone. So this will kind of come up later and you'll see why. The second bullet entered JFK's back right side of his shoulder, then exit the front of his neck, But the bullet kept going and continued to go through the governor's right side around his armpit. 
and then threw his right wrist and completely shattered it. Then it ended up in his left thigh. Ouch. So I just think that's crazy how one bullet goes in the shoulder, out a neck, through a seat, around a a right armpit, through a wrist, and through a thigh. Yeah, that's a lot, like, for serious. Then the third and fatal shot was fired. This shot was said to enter the back right of his skull and and exited the front right of his skull, basically shattering his skull and killing the president. His poor wife's first reaction was to start collecting the pieces of his skull and brain from the back of the car in hopes to save him. And I cannot imagine Tamara. Like, I know you said you watched this clip, but she it wasn't was- very gruesome. Because, you know, the camera's way back when. And it's, like, far off that this person but, was yeah, recorded. But, yeah, but I seen, I mean, I'll try to find it again. But it's just, like, his head kind of exploded. Half and, of his face was gone. But, then, you know me, with my weak stomach and all, I'm just like, oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, to be fair, <laughs> it could have been, like, a remake. But... But still, when I was looking up my theories of what I think is going on with the world now, and Keenan brought up, I think he's alive. I looked and I said, first of all, y'all have to go to other podcasts and find out. (laughs) (laughs) I have my theories about that one too. And I I don't. Uh, But I think, senior, I'll, I'll just let you know. After seeing that video, I'm like, there's no way. He's alive after that video, like after that shot. Yes. And he'd be 104 today. So if he did, his mind probably isn't there, especially after the, the gunshot. Because she leaped on the back of the car to collect brain and skull matter. I know. I have seen it. <laughs> so it's just like, oh my goodness. But I read an article where Jackie said, all the ride to the hospital, I kept bending over saying, Jack, Jack, can you hear me? I love you, Jack. I kept holding the top of his head, trying to keep his brains in. What? Could you do that to your husband? What? I mean, I want to say yes, but oh, oh, that means no. Oh, that's so nasty. That's nasty. I, Brains. I, I have the weakest stomach. I'd be, if I was doing that, I'd be throwing up. Oh. That's what I, I, mean, I feel. I do what it takes to save my family, but touching somebody's brains, I'm not going to not be throwing up. <laughs> when my child lost her finger, I was doing everything I could not to throw up and we get to the ER and they're like, it's okay. It's fine. It's just a little cut. And I'm like, there's blood. Ooh, there's blood. Ooh, I can't do it. And she didn't even have to have stitches, just glued. And I couldn't handle it. So a brain. Yeah. I mean, I've handled a tooth going through a lip. Not well. I'm not even kidding. A ear being sliced that. off. 
nearly. And then his fingers. Yeah, I, I done passed Look. out. Ugh. Can't do brains coming out. But they rushed him to Parkland Memorial Hospital where John F. Kennedy was pronounced dead about 30 minutes later. By 2 p.m., he was being... See, this is what I think is crazy. He was shot at 1 p.m. He was pronounced dead at 1.30. And by 2 p.m., he was being, ta- he was being taken back to Love Field, Army- Love Field Army Base to be loaded on Air Force One. Like they were wasting no time whatsoever, and I guess because but he why is, why would they keep him at the hospital and there's absolutely nothing they can do? They can put him on. Where were they taking him on Air Force One? I don't know where they took him. I guess back to the White House or well, whatever. Well, then maybe they were letting him be with his family, or maybe they were taking him to the funeral home, or they probably, you know, how we had to do arrangements with Daddy and we yeah. had to come up with something. Well, maybe it's something like that where they already have a plan what they do and they're just kind of taking all the attention off of the hospital. I guess. But I just, whenever I was writing this, I didn't know it was like, boom, boom, boom. Like within an hour, he was already up out of town, you know? I just thought that was crazy. But I guess he is a president and it's like, if something happens, you want them quick out and everything. But I was just like, wow. That's insane. No, I guess so. I don't know. So now we're going to start talking about fairies and conspiracies. So this guy named Howard Leslie Brenham, you know, he's awesome because his name is Leslie, was watching the JFK. Okay. <laughs> I was like, she's not going to say nothing. I was trying to unmute my already unmuted microphone because I'm scared when I move. You're going to keep hearing the the microphone like bounce because I feel like it's moving, but it's really not. So keep moving. I know we're just paranoid from the last couple of episodes where we kept banking on. It also keeps me from rambling. (laughs) (laughs) But this, this awesome guy that has the middle name of Leslie was watching JFK drive by when he noticed across the street in the Texas School Book Depository a man just chilling in the window with a rifle. You know, like, no big deal. So he sees this man with a rifle in the sixth floor corner window, and he immediately reports this to the police. I was like, hey, um, there was a guy up there with the rifle, and the president got shot, you know, like, hmm. Maybe the two were linked together. Just, just, just saying. So the next witness is Charles Givens. He testified that he saw a coworker of his on the sixth floor at the Texas School Book Depository at eleven fifty-five a.m., which is about thirty-five minutes before JFK's car entered the plaza. And was not seen again until after the shooting. And apparently, I should have wrote this down, but I didn't write this down. But apparently, they were doing something to the sixth floor. I think they were like redoing the floors or something. Other, so there shouldn't have been anybody on the sixth floor anyway. These tips helped the police to seal off the building. And at some point between twelve thirty and twelve fifty. Then at 1 p.m., the depository did a roll call to check all the employees to see who was there 
during this time. They did the roll call. All the employees were there except one. One was missing during the roll call, and his name was Lee Harvey Oswald. And Lee Harvey Oswald was last seen in the building at 12.33 p.m. At 1.14 p.m., 45 minutes after President Kennedy was shot, Officer J.D. Tippin stopped Lee Harvey Oswald, who was on foot and fit the description that was being broadcast over the radio. Officer Tipton called Lee Oswald over to his patrol car, where he spoke to him through the passenger window. After a brief conversation, Officer Tipton got out of his car, and as he was walking toward the front of his patrol car, Lee suddenly shot him three times point-blank with a 38 caliber revolver. As Officer Tipton fell, he then shot him in the head. Witnesses said they saw a man running in the theater, so they reported this to the police. Once police entered the theater, they found the man fitting the description sitting in the back row. Officer McDonald walked toward this man when he jumped up and struck the officer. He tried to pull a gun out on him too when another officer was able to take him down and they arrested him. Once he was detained, they were able to ID this man and this man was ID'd as Lee Harvey Oswald, the same employee that was missing. So let me tell you about Lee. Lee was a 24-year-old ex-Marine from Texas. He spent some time in Russia and once applied for his Soviet citizenship. And the icing on this very bizarre cake was before the shooting happened, Lee was under FBI surveillance by Dallas officers for his connection to the Soviet Union. I don't know why, but they did not tell the Secret Service about Lee, even though they knew he was working at the Texas School Book Depository which was on the route. So Lee was on the FBI surveillance. They knew the route the president was going to be taken, and they did not say anything, which is crazy. Why not? Little tweet, tweet. Hey, we have somebody we're watching on this route. Just saying. So Lee Oswald owned a 6.5 millimeter Italian rifle, and that was the same gun that they were able to say was the gun that killed John F. Kennedy. The bullet fragments that were found in the car and found in the governor all matched the 6.5 millimeter rifle. Police then found the hidden rifle on the sixth floor near the window. So on November 4th, 1963, they were transferring Lee from Dallas Police Department to the county jail when he was actually shot and killed by Jack Ruby. A nightclub owner shot him and killed him, Tamara. Just bleep. And there was a lot of weirdness around this. And we'll get into that later. But Jack's conviction was appealed and he was granted a new trial. The date of his new trial was set and Jack became ill and died in prison of love cancer. So Warren Commission 
that was created by Lyndon B. Johnson, who was now the new president to basically investigate the assassin of John F. Kennedy during and they did from November 29th, 1963 until September 24th, 1964. The 888-page report that was presented to President Johnson on September 24th and made public three days later, it said that President Kennedy was assassinated by Lee Harvey Oswald and Oswald acted entirely alone. It also said that Jack Ruby also acted alone when he killed Oswald two days later. So here are the most popular conspiracy theories about JFK's assassin. The first one is the grassy knoll. In 1964, the Warren Commission concluded that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone and that Jack Ruby also acted alone when he killed Lee two days later. Most people don't accept this assassination was work of a long gunman. The House of Representatives may be partly to blame for this theory. In 1976, the Committee of Assassins said that there was probably a second shooter on the grassy knoll, a hill overlooking the site where Kennedy was assassinated. In 1982, the National Academy of Science Committee on Acoustics found that acoustic data did not support the conclusion that there was a second gunman. But the theory lives on. So, the Umbrella Man. Louise Stephen Witt carried a black umbrella with him to... Dilly's Plaza on November 22nd, 1963, and was caught on video raising it in the air as Kennedy's car drove past. Some believe that he was given a signal. Others think he could have shot a poison dart from the umbrella, but the truth is much less exciting. During a 1978 interview, he revealed that he was simply wanting to protest the president. Apparently, he heard that the umbrella was a sore spot with the Kennedy family due to the association with the Brit- British Prime Minister. It was a mob hit. The Kennedys were no stranger to organized crime. In fact, some believe that the mafia helped him steal the election. <clears throat> and... <laughs> We're not talking about <laughs> the conspiracies in detail right now. <laughs> and <laughs> I had to. So the Kennedys I had were to stop myself what I was really gonna say. <laughs> we'll talk about this in the rabbit holes that we jump into. Um the Kennedys were no stranger to organized crime. In fact, some believe that mafia helped steal the election in nineteen sixty by securing votes in the key states of Illinois. But this theory hinges on the fact that Kennedy's was unsuccessful in throwing Fidel Castro in Cuba, meaning the mafia-run casinos remain shut down, and that his brother Robert was cracking down on the mob in his role as attorney general, pursuing 
a case against Jimmy Hoffa. Maybe Hoffa. <laughs> the next theory is the government did it. <laughs> I just, I just love that one. The government. Perhaps it I was. I mean, just be straightforward and be like, it was the government. Blame it <laughs> on the government. Perhaps it was some rogue element in the CIA. CIA leaders were notably angry with Kennedy over the battle of the pig invasion. Ted Cruz's father was somehow involved. It is a relatively new theory, but during the 2016 presidential election, Trump implied that his fellow Republican candidate, Ted Cruz's father, was a known associate of Lee Harvey Oswald. And this is a quote. It said, his father was Lee Harvey Oswald's prior to Oswald being, you know, shot. Trump said on a Fox News phone interview. And that's the theories that we have. So what do you think? What do you think? I think you'll find out on the other podcast. Oh, gosh. Hey, we got to get the other one going too, you know. I know, but we'll just let it all out of all out over there of our yeah, theories that one's of not gonna be edited. I, I just say that one's just gonna be raw footage. Do you have a dum dum? Me, because I didn't look up one. <laughs> Do you have a dum dum? I'm working on it. I'm working on it. All right, we got one. Okay. All right. So you ready for our dum-dum of the day? I'm ready for our dum-dum of the day. All right. So this man is trying to kill demons okay. by tormenting that are tormenting him. And he went on a sledgehammer spree. Was he so, tripping on something and thinking he was in a video game and just like, ah! We'll find out. So he was believed that he was, they were tormenting him. So he went on a sledgehammer spree that did thousands of dollars in damage to cars and residents. Um, so the sheriff's office began receiving multiple 911 calls on Sunday afternoon around 2.30 p.m. from a number of residents on Little Torchy Key who said a man with a sledgehammer was destroying property throughout the neighborhood. When deputies arrived, they were told the man had jumped in a canal. What? That man was later identified We'll keep his name out of it so we don't embarrass him too much. Okay. Um, but he was identified when one of the deputies went to one of the streets over. They found him walking down Black Bearded Road carrying a sledgehammer. So obviously he wasn't hard to find. He dropped the sledgehammer on the ground. So... Then he wrapped himself up in fentanyl in a feed. What? Okay, I was sorry. about to say in a fentanyl. He wrapped himself in drugs. <laughs> That's how I read it, and then I was like, "Wait a minute." 
He did so, and then he wrapped himself up in the fetal position. He pulled away multiple times when deputies tried to handcuff him. They were forced to use a taser, and then so he could be taken into custody. He broke $300 worth of windows at his residence and then ran away. One man's neighbor struck his pickup truck, causing $200 in damage before running away to another neighbor's house. So... There's... All I gotta say, if I seen a guy walking down the street with a sledgehammer and then he hit my car, it would not be good for him. Not good whatsoever. I could do that. You would you would go after what some other tool. <laughs> I would go psycho Leslie on him. So yeah, for real. But anyways, it doesn't say anything that he was intoxicated or anything like that. He just felt like he was possessed and being attacked. So that's cool. Yeah, there's that. There is that. So, make sure you've... <laughs> this is awkward ending. <laughs> make sure you find us on Facebook at... TCWI Discussion Group. Find us on Instagram at... TCWI underscore podcast underscore. On our Patreon page at patreon backslash the crimes we're into or you can go over to our webpage, which is the crimes we're into.com click the bonus episodes select the tier that fits you the best gets you all the goodies that you would like to get and yeah listen to our extra episodes and, and if you really like us and you really want to hear more of us Make sure you go to our newest podcast. A little spin-off, spin-off. Which is on all our other platforms. So whatever you're listening to now, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever, we're on there. Same little bit emojis that we have that look like us, except for we're jumping in a rabbit hole at the rabbit holes we jump into. So Hear more information about this episode now. Bye, you guys. Bye.